0: Thank you for tuning in to listen to this week's sermon at Bethel Church. Every week, Pastor Jeremy Dean delivers a powerful message rooted in Scripture, a heart for the gospel, and a love for God and his church. We also hope you check out the Bethel Church Podcast, which release on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. throughout the year. To learn more about Bethel Church, you can visit lovingbethel.com. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Here's Pastor Jeremy Dean. Cindy said, You know what, Josh, I'll help you out this morning. I'll get those kids dismissed for you so that way you don't have to like rush or anything and then all of a sudden I turn around and she's walking away. <laughs> um, I, if you don't know who I am, by the way, if you're new or a visitor, I am Josh. Uh, I'm the student director here at Bethel and I am not Jeremy. Uh, he is not here. Um, we had a great Easter last week. Uh, if you were here last week and if, if, if you had any part in it or if you were just here, um, I just want to thank you guys for how... Um, Awesome it was to be here at Bethel last week, two really full services. Uh, The band did such a great job, Jeremy. uh, If you were here, you know that Jeremy was a little under the weather, um, but he powered through and really delivered um, two fantastic messages on um, the resurrection. Uh, Afterwards, he did uh, go home and crash uh, for a couple days, and he was out for a couple days. But do not worry, Jeremy is absolutely fine. I, however, um, am a little stuffy this morning, but that's okay. I'm also getting over it for the last couple days. Uh, but Jer- uh, this has been on the schedule for a long time, so I'm not filling in for Jeremy like last minute. Jeremy came into my office. Anytime Jeremy comes to my office, which happens, you know, two to three times a day, I never know what he's going to ask me. But a couple months ago, he, he walked in my office. He said, hey, Josh, how about on um, Sunday, April 24th, would you mind preaching? And I was like, oh, that was not what I was expecting you to ask me today. And, and of course, I was very willing and excited Uh, to be able to preach this morning. I have been able to um, preach here on Sunday mornings three, four times now in my few years that I've been here. Um, And every single time that I preach, um, I get the same couple comments. And I'm going to try and fix that this morning. Those comments are usually, Josh, I really love what you had to say this morning. I thought it was a great message. However, um, you talk a little fast. Um, and here's what I have to say to all you Southern folk here. Um, you can take the boy out of New York, but you can't take the New York out of the boy. And I, um, I figured to compensate for this this morning because I'm going to try to slow down. Um, one, like the Lord said, Josh, your voice is going to be a little fuzzy, so you're going to have to enunciate. You're going to have to take your time. But I figured I'd stretch this. Uh, I I did the, the work this week, got this prepared, and, and I think I, I have about a two to three hour sermon ready. I'm gonna take it nice and slow. That way everyone can hear everything. Um, I'm kidding, of course. Unless you guys want to hear that, which I don't think you do. But anyway, we're gonna jump right in. So if uh, I um am going to pick up where Jeremy has kind of left off before Easter, um, I'm gonna I'm using all my technology this morning. So, um bear with me and bear with technology. But Jeremy has been in the book of John um, b- uh, so probably around November or so. Last year, Jeremy and I were sitting and we were doing some planning. Um, Brady, can you hit the next slide for me because my iPad, there we go. Thank you. Um, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy and I were talking, we were doing some planning. And he said, you know, I'm thinking about jumping into a book of the Bible. At that point, he wasn't sure what it was going to be. and he And he said, I think I just want to walk through it. And however long that takes us, that's how long it takes us. Um, and I thought that was awesome. That is the kind of preaching that I grew up with. Um, my pastor um, that, at the church that I grew up in, in North Carolina, uh, was very exegetical, uh, verse by verse, diving into the scripture kind of as plainly as possible. Um, so I'm excited to be able to kind of jump in to where he is with that this morning Because, like I said, that's kind of the the teaching that the teaching style that I'm familiar with, Um, and that's what we're doing with the youth right now. So, if um, students, you know, that we've been in the Book of Ephesians for a while, um, and someone a couple weeks ago said to me, and they didn't mean any harm by it, but they're like, "Are we ever going to be done with Ephesians?" and and my thought has always been that our job Up here is not necessarily to like get through the Bible. Um, Our job is not to get through the Bible. (laughs) Our job is to, as the Jeremy especially as pastor, but is to get kind of the Bible through us. Uh, And so I'm excited, like I said, to jump in. We're gonna be in John chapter four. So if you're in your Bibles, go ahead, go ahead and turn to John chapter four. Um, the funny thing is about what I'm going to be teaching on this morning is, I, it, it is, a, is a, it's a story from, from John. So um, I love to tell stories, and I also do love to go kind of verse by verse. But we're going to kind of take a bigger picture approach of this story that a lot of you might be familiar with. We're going to be talking about Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. If you're familiar with the story, I find it to be uh, very fascinating uh, it's, a, it's a controversial story in a number of ways. I find it intriguing. Uh, it's, a, it's a look into culture. It's a look into the person of Jesus. And it's a story I feel like we can really um, learn how to be more like Jesus through. So let's go ahead and jump on in. We're going to start in John chapter 4, verse 4. And let's read. John chapter 4, verse 4. And he had to pass through, he being Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria so he came to a, a town of Samaria called Sychar, neal, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour. Okay, a few significant pieces for us to uh, know from these couple of verses that helps us set the scene. Uh, this is Jacob's well, where the whole story is gonna take place. Uh, This was at the juncture of many ancient roads and very close to Joseph's tomb, like I said, very close to Joseph's tomb. So this was considered kind of a sacred place, uh, holy ground in some capacity, but it was considered sacred. Uh, The well in and of itself was considered sacred. And and in this case, sacred just means like of God. Um, So this well and this ground around it was of God, it was sacred. So it it was a place that people respected In addition to that, in those times, not that it isn't today, but even more so in these times, water was a very valuable commodity. Like I said, water is still very important today, obviously, but water may have even been the uh, commodity in those times. And this is important for a couple of reasons. It says it was the sixth hour. Uh, The sixth hour in this case is not 6 a.m. It's referring to noon. So it was about noon when Jesus meets, um, you know, Jesus is at the well here about to meet this woman. And noon was not the hour that most women went to draw water. Uh, one of the jobs that women in their homes had was to get up in the mornings, go to the well, and draw water uh, for their families. But most of those women probably did that around 6 a.m. So this woman is, uh, and Jesus are about to meet up at around noon. So the woman is drawing water at a time that is not um, typical for uh, women to be drawing water. So let's read on. Uh, verse 7. So here comes our woman. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So here it is. The Samaritan woman at noon at the well. Anyone who would see this would probably know that she is a little bit out of place. Uh, considering that it is noon, Jesus, being Jesus, knows exactly what's going on here, and he takes it as an opportunity. It says, "Jews has n- uh, the uh, scripture says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans." Uh, this is another important piece because Jews saw Samaritans entirely as unclean. It was cultural hatred, uh, but also it was baked deep into the fa- fabric of the Jewish cult- uh, Jewish custom and culture to basically hate Samaritans. They saw Samaritans as other, uh, and th- even the thought of drinking the water from this woman's water jar would also consider, uh, make, make them consider them unclean. So Jesus, like, uh, considering to, like, share water with this woman would, by culture, make Jesus unclean. But Jesus still says, uh, give me a drink. That's how he starts this uh, interaction with this woman. He says, give me a drink. Verse 10. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, if you knew who I was, you would have you would have not only asked me for water, but you have actually would have received living water from me. So this isn't actually like too crazy of a uh, a terminology. Uh, for those times. So, we know where this is headed. We know the living water uh, refers to Jesus and the salvation he's going to bring. But the, the term living water was not foreign. Um, basically, living water refers to two things here. One, the salvation from Jesus that we're going to get to. But two, in this time, living water would refer to just fresh spring water. So, when Jesus says you would receive living water, she knows what that means, um, literally, to being just fresh spring water. So the woman logically responds here and says, how are you going to give me this living water? Because you have nothing to draw it with. You, don't, you didn't bring anything here to carry the water. Excuse me. So we read on in uh, verse number 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So Jesus begins laying out the meaning of this living water, different than just the fresh spring water. He's trying to separate himself as something different from both the literal meaning of the living water and just water in general he offers up this living water and this woman is quite ready to receive it. In this moment, immediately, she's just sat down, uh, probably has gone to this well before. She sits down and is ready to receive this living water out of nowhere, sees potentially something very different here and is ready to receive it. So, my first point. When Jesus opens your heart, you cannot resist it. Uh, When Jesus opens your heart, you cannot resist it. Jesus, very calmly, very plainly, offers up living water to this woman. Um, her heart is immediately open to it. Immediately. Uh, who knows how she came uh, ready to just draw water from the well normally. She may have been very hardened, um, very tired. Who knows? But Jesus, through his power, opens her heart uh, very quickly, and she's very ready to resist, or not resist, she's ready, very ready to receive this living water. The living water is this... Um, living manifestation of jesus of god and the holy spirit on earth opening her heart so she's ready to receive it she cannot resist it immediately wants him and this is good for us in a lot of ways uh ultimately jesus does the saving uh both then and today but when jesus opens the heart of the lost they cannot resist that type of love they cannot resist that type of acceptance that type of peace that type of forgiveness jesus did very little here in theory uh other than offer himself up simply to show love and offer it to her. She just, he just offered it and she takes it immediately because her heart was open to it. So now we're going to take a slight turn in the story and I think this is where it's going to seal the deal for this woman. Verse number 16. Jesus said to her, "Go and call your husband and come here. Go call your husband and come here." The woman answered him, "I have no husband." Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus asks for her husband to come because this is also custom. Jesus knows what he's doing, but he's, he's slowly easing his way in here. It would be custom for a man, if a man were to give something of value to a woman, that her husband be present uh, for that exchange. Jesus, of course, knows that this woman uh, doesn't have a husband and in fact that she has had five husbands uh, and currently what we can just consider some type of live-in boyfriend uh, is what she has at the moment. So there have been been six men at least in her life in some capacity and we can now get an idea of why this woman comes to the well at noon and not in the morning. In In this moment, this woman is coming face to face with the reality of what she probably realized was the perception of her. She's had to walk alone probably day after day uh, to this well. Uh, she has a past that many would consider that, that, that is difficult for any person, any woman to go through. Uh, she already knows she's viewed as unclean. Uh, now with her past that probably people know some, something about, um, she maybe feel like she's damaged goods. Uh, she's useless by most of the surrounding culture. But here she is ready to receive life for the first time, but she's having to confront the perception of herself uh, and that's probably terrifying because Jesus just flat out says you've had five husbands and now you have someone living with you and here she is not knowing that Jesus knew all these things about her he just offered something to her that she couldn't resist because her heart was open to it and now all of a sudden she probably red in the face having wasn't ready for this moment where Jesus said to her yeah you've had five husbands and now uh, you have this living boyfriend so she's coming face to face with what she's probably always feared and probably her heart dropped into her stomach uh, because she thought she was about to receive something really good, and she is ultimately. But Jesus is kind of a, kind of like um, just saying more about her and kind of shocking her. So I'm going to stop here because we we know two things about this woman. Ultimately, uh, we know one that she's a Samaritan, um, and that has all of its cultural um, ramifications and obviously implications. Uh, the other thing that we know about her now is that she has had five husbands and has this live-in boyfriend. So these are the only two things that we really know about this woman. We don't even know her name. We were talking before, apparently The Chosen did an episode about uh, about this scene and they may have given her a name, but um, we don't know her name. So we, we just know that she's a Samaritan and we just know that she's had five husbands and this now sixth man. So here's what we don't know about this woman. We don't know why she's been married five times. Uh, we don't know if there was, if they didn't get along. We didn't know, um, you know, what the situations were with those five husbands. We don't know who the men were, know nothing about them. Were they good guys? Were they abusive? Were they, um, you know, you know was, was, were there issues with her? We don't know anything about those five men. We don't know how they treated her in any way, shape, or form. We don't know. We just know that there have been five. We don't know, and I think this is important, we don't know about this woman's ability to conceive um, because that in the culture could have been an easy out for any man to go into a marriage and if this woman couldn't conceive, they could just get right out because they couldn't have babies. We don't know that. We, so we don't know any ab- uh, a history of abuse or of trauma or of anything. We just know that there have been five husbands and a sixth man, so she's been through a lot. Um, and, we, and we, don't know, we don't know about her personality. We don't know, uh, you know, her temperament. We just don't, we, or anything about any of these things. We just know that she has this history that on top of being a Samaritan has this perception that is probably pretty unshakable. And now she's once again coming face to face with it. Like I said, we do know that there's this perceptions about Samaritans already and likely a perception about this woman that she has to carry around with her on her shoulders day in and day out as she walks to the well at noon Who knows who she walks by? Who knows what she hears on her way? You know, it's a very difficult situation for this woman to be in. Um, So while it is very easy for even us to say, to read this story, and see her as this dirty sinner who has done so much wrong and comes here and readies for Jesus to save her, and there may may even be pieces of truth to that, uh, we just don't know her life. What we do know is she's ready for her life to turn around. And we know that she showed up and she engaged in this conversation with Jesus, someone she shouldn't be talking to. Let's jump ahead to verse number 25. I lied about the two to three hour thing. In reality, whenever Josh gets to preach, you guys get to go to lunch early. Uh, Verse number 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jump to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it ourselves. And we know that it is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus fully explains that he is the Messiah that has been prophesied to this woman. And this woman raves about him. She cannot believe that he knew all these things about her and and was offering her this living water, this life, this change. She drinks from the fountain of living water and she cannot get enough. And because of this woman's testimony, many more people believed, many more tasted the living water, saw that it was good and it was the real deal and it was sustaining. This story very often gets turned into an evangelistic message, and it's not a bad takeaway, Uh, like, oh, it doesn't matter where you came from, it doesn't matter, you know, what you've been through, what your past is, you can come to the well and taste the living water. And boy, oh boy, is that true. It is very true that no matter your past, no matter your sin, no matter what you've been through, you can come to the well and you can accept this living water from Jesus. But for us here in church this morning, many of us have tasted and seen the living water. We do know that it is good. We do know that it is sustaining. So how can we look at this story from the lens of Jesus? Because for many of us, we are, um, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us. We are the representation of Jesus here on earth. So how do we look at this story from Jesus' point of view and learn something this morning? So I have a story to share. Um, Many of you uh, who know me, uh, or follow me on social media even, or have or had conversations with me, know that I have just a ton of strange hobbies. I'm not going to get into them all, I, but I have a ton of strange hobbies. And my wife is here and I know she doesn't want to hear me talk about them, so I'm not going to because I talk about them enough at home. Um, but one facet of my life that I have found to be really wonderful is that I have met a lot of really cool people through various online communities. And when you've kind of done that for a a, a few years. You learn how to do it safely and you know, you know who the weirdos are out there in the online world. So like, you know, I'm not suggesting everyone go and find all your friends online, but I have met some friends online, which I think is really cool. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I drove down to Orlando and and met up with a few of them, about 15 or 16 of them. We got an Airbnb, we hung out, we just had a great time. And it, it was really special, a really good time with these people. The fun part about these friends uh, for me is that they come from all different types, all different walks of life, uh, different backgrounds, cultures, uh, locations, uh, most of them here in the United States. We all met together and just just had this best time. So last week, uh, last Sunday, Easter, several of these friends uh, were talking in in a group text message that we're in, and they were talking about um, what they were doing, what their plans were for Easter. Some of my friends did nothing. They maybe saw their family or maybe they just hung out at their homes. But some of them um, were really um, worried about having to go home to their families and come to church. That was just the reality. They, didn't, they, they were afraid to do this. Um, and one f- friend in particular um, was texting us that he went to church with his family and uh, people at this church probably knew a little bit about this friend. I also got permission from this friend to tell the story this morning. Um, uh, and so he, they probably know a little bit about his background. My friend is, is, is not someone who attends church regu- regularly, um, but the people at his family's church know a little bit about him, uh, truly a little bit about him, very little, but enough to to do some, anyway, let me get to the point. So He goes to church with them last Sunday and someone walks up to him and I found, I'll get to, I'll get to my part of this in a second. Uh, they, someone walked up to him and said just to his face and probably didn't mean harm, but it was, it was awful. And I just felt, I, I've been heartbroken over it for a while now. And I told him that, um, they walked up to him and said, Hey, well, you can't get struck by lightning in here (laughs) as if to say like, This is the safest place you can be um, otherwise, because out there, God can strike you down at any moment. And I was um, sitting right over here last Sunday in the second service. I'd already heard Jeremy preach, so I was looking at my phone. Um, uh, And I saw this story, or I saw this, not story, I saw, my friend told me this happened to him. Um, And I thought to myself, I was like, I'm preaching on the woman at the well, a woman who has this perception about herself where they actually know very little about her and is approaches Jesus and I found and I sat there and I was just hurt uh for my friend and I thought um this is kind of like a modern day example of like w- what this could look like uh what is supposed to be this safe place with you know Jesus uh, just imagine if Jesus acted this way Ooh. I thought i died for a second. Um, imagine if Jesus had acted this way towards a woman. I can, I can kind of imagine it. Not that Jesus would ever do this, but Jesus engages with this woman and tells her, hey, you might as well stay here on this, whole, on this sacred ground because it's the safest place in the world for you because the second you leave here, it, it's going to get ugly. That woman would not feel safe with Jesus. That woman would not feel loved. That, that woman would feel judged. That woman would feel hated, condemned, and probably think to herself, I'm probably better off dead anyway because the life I'm living would never be good enough to be in this sacred place too long in the first place. Um, We have this like culture of speaking this thing into existence in the church and it's not a bad thing, but every Easter and every Christmas we talk about, you know, the people that only come on Christmas and Easter. And I don't think that's a bad thing to recognize that people come to visit on those holidays because they are christian-centered holidays and church is a wonderful place for them to be on those holidays but it takes a lot of courage for someone to show up in a place where they feel like they don't belong so i would just be really heartbroken if anyone here treated someone in the way my friend was treated or that the way that woman was supposed to be treated by anyone other than jesus in that place by the well. Who knows how many times she went to that well? And who knows how she was treated in those other times? So on those holidays, and, I, and I, we have a good church here, and I, I believe a really kind-hearted, loving people, but think about the, um, the ramifications of your words to people uh, that are visiting our church from Sunday to Sunday. And to those of us who are following Jesus, we are to offer living water to the world. That's our job. We can so easily be like that man was to my friend without even thinking about it. I bet that man was not even meaning harm by what he said. He just made a joke. Um, but that line stuck with him. That line stuck with my friend enough to text it to me and say, I was treated this way by someone today, and it was hurtful. I would be heartbroken to hear about someone that came through the doors of Bethel Baptist Church and was treated in any way short of Christ-like. And you know what? That was a check for me sometimes. I, I do this from time to time. I am a sarcastic person. I like to make sarcastic jokes. I love just that kind of humor. And sometimes it gets the best of me. We'll be here on like on a Wednesday night and a student will come that I haven't seen in a while. And I'll say something like that. I'll be like, oh, wow, I can't believe you're here. And, and, and in my mind, I'm joking. But in, in reality, I'm probably being harmful. And that's just me being honest. And I think that this story has just come to check me a little bit, that my job is to just offer living water and to be Christ-like as simply as possible to any person that walks through the doors of either this church or my life. And in this situation here, Christ-like is simply just offering up the living water, offering up a love that is so big that it can only be given out by God. The kingdom grows one person at a time. Jeremy has put a lot of emphasis on this at our church. Uh, we did the Who's Your One series, you know, not too long ago. And sometimes we look at it, excuse me, look at this big evangelical movements and think we can never, like, expand the kingdom in the way someone like Billy Graham did with these big crusades and these big revivals and all these things. And you may or may not be able to do something like that. But what can you do? You can offer the living water to one. You can be a safe person for someone. One thing that I notice about this story is that Jesus never really condemns the woman. She never really points out her sin. He just like mentioned her background as a point to like prove who he was and also to say to her that like it didn't matter to be able to receive the living water. Jesus was safe for this woman at the well. And I believe that the capital C Church, we as believers are often shooting ourselves in the foot by putting the condemnation, ahead of, uh, the condemnation of sin ahead of the offering of living water. And I believe there's a time and a place to have productive conversations with people about the struggles in their lives. Um, but I don't think you can be a safe person for someone you care about. And as believers, we are to care about everyone by just trying to be, in the plainest way I can think to put this is sin repellent. Like our job is not to be sin repellent, like just to like spray the sin out of someone. That doesn't bring someone to Jesus. You know, the thing that brings them to Jesus is Jesus, especially to people who aren't following Jesus. People who aren't following Jesus from day to day have no obligation to live up to the standard the Bible has for them because they're not choosing to live that way. And we oftentimes run around condemning sin as as believers to the world that doesn't care and that just makes us feel and look unsafe to the world. And I believe that we are to be as safe as possible to the people around us if we want to bring people to the kingdom. And the kingdom grows by offering the living water to people. Sure, there's a time and there's a place to discuss the struggles in people's lives. But if we are to be safe people for others and be the love of God that was simply given to this woman by offering it up. Um, Then we can do that by giving it to people, by showing love, by showing kindness, by showing grace, by showing open arms and open doors. You know, for those people that come, like I said, on Christmas and Easter alone or just every once in a while, we know very little about them. Like we know very little about this woman, like that man knew very little about my friend. But for them to walk through these doors in any way is scary like I've been in church my whole life I don't know what it's like to feel like foreign to a church I've been in church since the second I was born so I don't know what that feels like but I know what it's like to feel excluded I know what it's feel like to know what it feels like to feel like I don't fit in somewhere so when someone walks into these walls our job is to just offer them Jesus and that could be in a number of ways And I'm going to get to that here in a second, because usually um, when I'm closing up a a lesson or a message to the students, I'm sending them off into their small groups um, where they can have a few uh, questions to discuss. But I'll invite Christy up to play for me for a little bit. Yeah, it's a little early, I know. (laughs) Uh, And I have a few questions for us to ponder over um, as we wrap up this morning. So I want you to think about your one. Who is your one? That's something that we've, if you, if you don't know what that means, who's the one person in your life that you're praying for, that, that you love dearly, that you want them to know who Jesus is? What does your relationship with that person look like? How are you offering living water to them? Have you been a safe person for them? I want you to think about who that person is and think about what your relationship is like. What is, what, how often do you uh, communicate with that person? What does your conversations look like? Um, How are you offering living water to them? Have you offered them the love of Jesus in any tangible way, any literal way? Have you been a safe person for them? And then the next thing I want you to think about is how can you display the type of love that Jesus displayed to the woman to them? Maybe that's a text message. Maybe you walk out here today and just send a text message to that person and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Uh, Hope you're having a good week. Um, How can I pray for you? Maybe send them uh, a $5 Venmo for a coffee. Say, go treat yourself tomorrow morning. I know it's the start of the week, uh, the work week. I want you to, uh, you know, get Starbucks this morning. Maybe just give them a call and say, hey, let's get, fr- get lunch on me. I'll take you out this week. We'll go hang out. Just have, ha- have some, you know, one-on-one time and just catch up. Maybe it's a simple invitation to church. Say, hey, I'll come pick you up and we'll walk in together It could be that simple to get someone in these walls that feels nervous about being here by saying, hey, I'll get you, and I'll walk in with you, and I'll sit down with you. Sometimes just the hardest journey for someone to get to church is from the parking lot to the pew. And if you're willing to bridge that gap to them, that's it. That's offering them the living water. So I want us to think about our one. How can we show them that simple living water love? this week. Let's go to the Lord for wisdom and guidance in these few moments. Let's pray.